Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. Acts chapter 13, and we're going to verse 13. When a pastor, elder, or someone else teaches up here, we really don't know what worship songs are going to be played. So it's always neat to hear certain songs, and most of the time the songs connect with the message. But the one song tonight, the one pure and holy passion, I just wanted to Make that a prayer right now before we get into Acts um, 13. It says, Give me one pure and holy passion. Give me one magnificent obsession. Jesus, give me one glorious ambition for my life to know and follow hard after you, to grow as your disciple in the truth. This world is empty, pale, and poor compared to knowing you, my Lord. Lead me on, and I will run after you. And I'm just thinking as we're doing this study in Acts, just how we're seeing so many of the guys and girls in the story with that pure, holy passion and that magnificent obsession. And the title of tonight's message, um, I think it was up on the screen, Be Like Me, and I changed in the last second to Imitate Me. And that was something from uh, 1 Corinthians 4.16 talks about uh, Paul saying, therefore I urge you, imitate me. And another verse in Corinthians is, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. So throughout the scriptures, we have not only the humanness of people, but we also have tremendous examples, and no greater example, of course, than Jesus Christ. And as we keep our face in the Bible we become more and more like Him because He transforms us from the inside out. So let's jump into um, Acts 13, 13. Now when Paul and his party set sail for Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. So up on the map, last time, about a month ago, we saw Cyprus, the island of Cyprus, and we saw that that's where Paul and Barnabas came from Antioch in Syria and came across to Salamis, and then they traveled from Salamis to Paphos. And that's about 100 miles. But you have to remember, they did it on foot. So as I continue to study uh, this chapter, I just see the dedication, the effort, and commitment by the, Paul and, and Barnabas and uh, John Mark, who was with them, and just that dedication to just travel, not knowing when they were going to return home, but knowing they had a burning in their heart that God put there through the power of the Holy Spirit to have a purpose, to have a place they were going, and they really didn't know all the obstacles that were on the way. Now, after they were in Paphos, if you remember, uh, the governor came to the Lord as we finished last time. And I found out in studying that that same governor ends up going all the way up north 
to uh, Antioch Pisidia, which is up in the left-hand corner on this particular map. But from Paphos to Perga, it's a 150-mile journey by boat. Now, when we think of that, you might think of, oh, you know, a nice Norwegian cruise line or something like that, or a Disney cruise. It wasn't like that. When they slept, they all slept on the deck, and they were laying next to each other and just packed in. There wasn't beautiful suites or, you know, suites looking at the water and then suites that maybe were inside the boat. It was hard. It was tough. And there's this young guy with him, John Mark, who wrote the book of Mark, who we're going to see in the, tonight that he leaves them when they get to, up to this area in the north. And we're going to look at him in a, in a few minutes. But just imagine going 150 miles by boat to Perga. You're taking the gospel there and all the things that could take place. I mean, it's not always good weather, right? You're not always feeling good, your stomach or your head. And I, I found out in studying this, Paul might have even had um, typhus during part of this journey. And typhus is pretty bad. It's an infectious disease. It's, uh, you could have a purple rash. You could have headaches, fever. You could be delirious. Um, you know, there's a very high mortality rate. There are several forms. They can be transmitted by lice, ticks, mites, rat, and rat fleas. So, you know, this wasn't, like I said, a hygienic journey. They didn't have showers. They didn't have sanitizer, hand sanitizer. So it was difficult. It was a hardship. But yet, in that hardship, they had a magnificent obsession. They had a passion that we want to imitate. You know, and Jesus, I think of the passion he had for you and me, coming all the way down from heaven, right? Taking on human flesh and going through approximately 33 years in our flesh and blood. You know, exposed to all the things that we're exposed to. But in the end of verse 13, it says, And John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. So what I like to do is for a few minutes, just take a look at this guy, John, also known as John Mark. And he wrote the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark. In Acts 12, 12, it says, So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. Now we see in Acts 12, if you remember, that's when Rhoda, the housekeeper, answered, and they had been praying for Peter, who was in jail. And if you remember, the gates open, uh, the prison doors open. The angel led Peter right to the house where they were praying, and then he and then he sort of woke up, and it was a miracle of God. And this was a situation. Um, this was John Mark's mom's house. This was his house. Mary was his. Mom, and then we see in Acts uh, twelve twenty five we see John Mark travel with Paul and Barnabas um, in this first missionary journey that Paul has, and you can see it up there by the gold dot on the right. Whoops! If we have that first picture, Jim, you can just leave that. So the gold dot on the right 
going down to Cyprus and then up into Perga and eventually up into uh, Antioch, Pisidia. So this was the same John Mark that we just saw in Acts 12, 12. In Acts, and he was Barnabas's cousin. We see that in Colossians. So John Mark starts with Paul and Barnabas. He's a younger guy, and he's going on this journey. And we see in verse 5 that they sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, and John went back to Jerusalem. So the question is, why did he go? And we find out also in Acts fifteen thirty-seven to 39, it says, Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then contention became so sharp that they parted from one another, and so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. Why did John Mark leave? What was the reasoning? We don't know. But let's speculate. Let's, let's come up with some th reasons that he might have left. In Acts 16, 6, it says, Now when they had gone through Pergia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. And then in Galatians 4, 11 to 14, it says, I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You have not injured me at all. You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. And my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Jim, if you could go to the second map, please. With the second picture. Okay, so what I just read from you was Paul's letter to the Galatians. And you can see Galatia right there in the center of the map. But you can also see Pamphylia down in the south. You see the island of Cyprus. You can see Antioch, Pisidia. You can see Perga to our left. And then these are the areas that Paul traveled. Now, go to Pamphylia right now. Just picture you're just coming from Cyprus. You land there. It is now over 100 miles to go up to um, Antioch, Pisidia. Not only is it 100 miles, but they have to go through the mountains. The elevation goes up over 2,500 uh, 2, feet. They're on foot. Now, John Mark has just had a 150-mile boat ride where he's sleeping shoulder to shoulder with guys. We don't know what the food was like, but you can imagine that a young guy never being exposed to this kind of things might have had second thoughts. And now they have to walk different types of terrain. They don't have Gatorade or Powerade. You know, they're relying on what? Maybe streams. 
water, you know what I mean? Their food. They're probably starving. So they're just trusting the Lord through all this. Was he discouraged, John Mark, how hard it was? Was he disappointed that maybe he only saw one or two conversions along the way? Uh, along the way. He saw a demon, um, a demon confrontation back in Cyprus. And then we just talked about the travel commendations. Did he want the comforts of home back in Jerusalem? These had to be some of the thoughts that went on. Marie and I were talking we went years ago on a missionary trip to Hungary. And one of the places we stayed, it was like disgusting. It was terrible. And then we found out the pastors had these really nice hotels. And we said, we're not staying here anymore. I mean, it was insane. It was worse than camping out in uh, log cabins. It was, you know, it was just too much. So there was a conflict we see with Barnabas and with Paul because, again, Barnabas, his nephew, is John Mark. And, you know, sometimes we have conflict in ministry. I'm sure some of you, have seen that in your experience through the churches you've been at or even here at this church. So conflicts are definitely something that can take place. Uh, some people leave, like a John Mark, and they go on to serve the Lord somewhere else. Some people leave and never serve the Lord again. And fortunately here with John Mark, he does. Um, Bar Barnabas ends up taking John Mark with him on a different missionary journey eventually. So we see from the conflict that arose between Barnabas and Paul that now there's two sets of uh, two groups of missionaries going in different parts of the world that they wouldn't have. It, it cut the time in half. So conflict, God worked it out for good, even though at the time... There was tension there. Years later, we see John Mark reunites with Paul. And, and you can read that in Philemon one twenty four, And he's called by Paul, my fellow laborer. So there was a change. There was a change in, uh, in Paul's heart towards John Mark. And that's always good to see, reconciliation. And then we see also in uh, 2 Timothy that towards the end of Paul's life, when Paul was in prison, he asked Timothy to get him John Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in ministry. So it's neat over the years to see what happened from the conflict to the end result. And that's always, like I said, glory to God through that. Through that. For us, maturity comes as you stay in God's Word and you are fellowshipping with his people. That's so important. And we're commanded to do that throughout the scripture. Okay, let's go to verse 14 of Acts 13. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia. And again, I said uh, that was a hundred mile trip uphill through the different mountain ranges. And they went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and they sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. 
Now, they knew Paul. They knew his reputation. Some of the people who were at the uh, Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon them, some of them are believed to have gone up and live in this region that you see in the map up in Antioch, Pisidia. And Paul was a rabbi. He was raised by Gamaliel, who was a, a great teacher. And he was uh, accompanied by Barnabas, who was a Levite. So these were two like guest speakers that had come into the synagogue. And remember, throughout Cyprus, throughout Perga, and on their trip, if they knew there was a synagogue in the area, they were going to that synagogue, and they were asked to speak. And what a great opportunity for Paul to share what took place in his life experientially to give it to these people and to just show how the church was being guided and grown by the Holy Spirit of God. So, in I don't want to uh, jump over this too much, uh, too quickly, but in verse 15, it says, After the reading of the law and the prophets. And this is something that's huge. We have the whole counsel of the Word of God here, from Genesis to Revelation. You know, sometimes you go into a store and they sell the New Testament and the Psalms. And you're paying good money for that, but it should be half price because it's only half of the Bible. You need the whole Bible. And tonight, as we're going along, you're going to see how many times Paul, and remember, Acts is a New Testament book, how many times Paul refers to Old Testament Scripture. We're going to see that, and I'm going to make sure I point that out to you as we're going with certain things. But why is that important? Well, it's crucial because the 39 books of the Old Testament are crucial to um, the New Testament. You see the 39 books fulfilled in the New Testament. If you just stayed in the New Testament, you wouldn't really understand some of the things they're saying that's in the 39 books. So you want to know everything that God is doing, everything that God is saying. That's so crucial. So when it says in uh, verse 15, and after reading the law and the prophets. So in the synagogue up in Antioch, Pisidia, they had a service. So in their service, just like we have like a routine, we, uh, you know, we pray, we worship, we read God's word, we have a closing prayer, we have fellowship. That's a routine. That's something that we do here. It's what you expect when you come here. People who are new really don't, you know, it's the first time they're seeing something like that. So the Law and the Prophets speak of the first five books of the Bible and the rest of the Old Testament. So they would read from the Law, they would read from the Prophets. Just as we're encouraged to do. Can you think how much, I really love the Old Testament because there's so many stories in that, there's so many object lessons, there's so many things in that, that when you study it, it's like, oh man, this is awesome what took place here. Because it's a history book written by men through inspiration of God's Holy Spirit. And how can you lose with something like that? So in Matthew uh, chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. 
I did not come to destroy the law and the prophets, but to fulfill it. And this was Jesus saying this. You know, a lot of his enemies, his opponents, said Jesus, you know, isn't teaching. He's came to destroy the law and the prophets. No, that's who the law and the prophets spoke about. That's who the people studying the Old Testament were waiting for, the Messiah. In Luke 24, 27, it says, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So here's Jesus saying, hey, in everything that Moses wrote, in all the pro prophetical books, they're talking about me. Just match it up. So um, the rulers of the synagogue, as we see in that last verse, uh, the second part of verse 15, they wanted to now, after they read from the law and the prophets, after they read from the Old Testament, they knew that Paul was here. They knew that Barnabas was here. And they wanted to hear from them. And they were saying, hey, guys, if you have anything that you can encourage us with, please let us know. Share with us now. This is your time to share. So this is when Paul stands up. And let's just, I'll start reading that. Uh, verse 16. Then Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. So he was speaking to the Jewish believers. And when he says, And you who fear God, those were Gentiles that were in the synagogue. So there was a mixture of Jews and Gentiles that Paul is addressing right here. Verse 17, The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwell as strangers in the land of Egypt, and with an uplifted arm he brought them out of it. Now one of the things Paul does right away in verse 17, he's including himself by saying, Our fathers. He's identifying with the Jews and he's putting himself in their company. He goes, I'm not some foreign stranger. I'm one of you. And our fathers, okay, are what we're talking about now. He's about to give them a history lesson. And it's very similar but a shortened version of the history lesson that Stephen got back before they stoned him in the beginning of the book of Acts. Matter of fact, it's 14 years since Stephen was stoned to this point right here. So 14 years have gone by. And the impression on Paul, the apostle, is phenomenal. Talk, talk about developing his magnificent obsession and passion. This came as a result of him being an enemy of the cross of Christ, being one of the uh, persecutors of the Christians, that held the garments while the guys were stoning Stephen. So this is imprinted, and he's taken some of Stephen's speech to the, to the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin and the other rulers. And he's using that here in a condensed version. So as we look at this, just what I read in verse 17, he's included in the book of Exodus, the book of Deuteronomy, and the... Um, in those two, in just verse 17, 
He's, he's drawing from Exodus and Deuteronomy. How important is the Old Testament? We see that in the New Testament and Paul reaching in there to show the history of the people of God and of the Gentiles who as a result of the Jewish people rejecting Christ, the gospel then turned to them. Unbelievable. Verse 18. Now for a time of about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. So now this is taken from the book of Numbers. So now he's reaching into Numbers. And notice, I, I read this and I'm saying, boy, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. How many times has God put up with your ways and my ways? Right? And shown us patience and long-suffering and using those things in our life to, for us to look Christward. Verse 19, And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by allotment. Now just that verse is Deuteronomy and Joshua. Verse 20, And after that he gave them judges for about 400 years, for 450 years, until Samuel the prophet. And afterward, they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish or Cush. Okay, same place. A man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And that's from 1 Samuel. That verse right there. Or those two verses. Verses 20 and 21. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king. To whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. And that's, all those verses are from 1 Samuel. From chapter 13 and 15 and 26 and 28 and 16. So you can see Paul's knowledge of the scriptures. And how important it is for right to know the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, to be a student of God's word. And in verse 22, it says, you know, David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. May you and I be a, a man or a woman after God's own heart. Knowing the scriptures, talking to our God, having that passion for him, having that magnificent obsession to just do His will as we travel through our journey on this earth. Verse 23, From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. In Psalm 132, I don't think I have that up on the screen, but 132.11, it says, The Lord has sworn in truth to David, he will not turn from it. I will set upon your throne the th fruit of your body. So we see right there in verse 23, Paul going into the Psalm 132, where it talks about that promise that there would be the fruit from his lineage that would be a Savior. And that Savior would be, of course, as we know, is Jesus Christ. Verse 24, And after John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, 
And as John was finishing his course, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not he, but behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to loose. And last time, if you were here in verse 24, we talked about the um, baptism of repentance when they were going into the Jordan River and John was baptizing them. And then we also looked at verse 25 where, Paul, uh, where John the Baptist wasn't even, didn't even feel worthy enough to bend down and unstrap the sandals of Jesus' feet. And remember the unstrapping of the sandals of someone's feet and washing them was a lowly slave's job. And John the Baptist is saying, I'm not even as high as a slave. I'm below that. I'm not even worthy to bend down and take off his sandals. Verse 26, Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. So now he's, he's given a history lesson, and now he's going right to the heart of the matter. And we can see that this particular verse was taken from Psalm 66. As we continue in verse 27, For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voice of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. Isn't it something, as, as we look at that verse, that here Jesus lived in Israel, he walked among them, he, he had miracles, but because they did not know him, nor even listen to the voice of the prophets, they're the ones who end up condemning Jesus to death. But even in condemning him, what are they doing? They're fulfilling scripture. Wild, right? Verse 28, and though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. Verse 29, now when they have fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and they laid him in a tomb. Just want to emphasize again, when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him. What New Testament book was written that they're referring to? None. It was the Old Testament that they're referring to. So those truths that are in the Old Testament, you can discover as you study it. Verse 30, But God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings that promise which was made to the fathers. So in 1 Corinthians 15.6, we know that after, let me read it here, after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. So this is after the resurrection of Jesus. Over 500 people saw him. All his apostles saw him. All his disciples saw him. 
people who didn't even know about him saw him. And these, there were witnesses. And then in verse 32 it says, And we declare to you glad tidings, that promise which was made to the fathers. Now you can go back in the Old Testament to find many promises about Jesus Christ. But one of them that I love is Isaiah 52, 7, where it says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. Now the greatest feat that ever touched down on this planet, of course, is Jesus. He left heaven to come to earth. He lived here. He taught here. He touched people's lives here. He was tortured. He was put on a cross. He suffered and died. He was put in a tomb and he rose from the dead. The holiest feet that ever touched this planet is none other than our God and our Savior who sets a tremendous example And then we have people like a Paul or a Barnabas who follow the example of Christ and are filled with His Holy Spirit and are not stopped by any obstacles or sickness to continue to push the way to the uttermost parts of their world that eventually goes to England, that eventually goes over here to the United States, that eventually puts me up here and you in the pews tonight. That's the power of a living God with a living Holy Spirit. As we lift up the name of Jesus, things happen. Things take place. Verse 33. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that He has raised up Jesus as it is also written in the second psalm. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken thus. I will give you the sure mercies of David. And again, that's taken from Isaiah 55, 3. Verse 35. Therefore he also says in another psalm, You will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. That was Psalm 16, verse 10. Verse 36, For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep and was buried with his fathers, and he saw corruption. His body decayed. But he, whom God raised up, saw no corruption. That was God the Son. He was raised. He didn't have decay. And in verse 36, where it says right there, David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God. You and I have the privilege to serve our generation according to the will of God. Isn't that awesome? He gives us his will in his playbook. This is his living will and testament right here for you and for me. Verse 38, Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man, speaking of Jesus, is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And that's from Jeremiah 
31, 34. Verse 39, And by him everyone who believes is justified from all things, from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. That verse was taken from Isaiah 53, 11. Verse 40, Beware therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets comes upon you. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. And that's from Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5. So here we see a lot of Old Testament scriptures being used by Paul as he is in the church age going through different places that we saw up on the map. Uh, Jim, if you could put up the third slide, please. This guy was a stud for Christ. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears, each with its clays I must fulfill. Living for self or in his will, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. The power of God's Holy Spirit anointing you, equipping you, to be able to be an example of Christ in a world that is not in a good place. And it's, it's worldwide. It's not just here in New Jersey. We need to pray just like the governor of Cyprus came to know Jesus. We need to pray for our governor, the governors that are throughout our country. We need to pray for a conversion of our president and speaker. They, they're facing a, um, a Christless eternity. We need to pray that their bonds are broken like Jesus broke our bonds. That's so important. And the last slide, Jim, please. The same fella says, I pray that when I die, all hell will have a party to celebrate the fact that I am no longer in the fight. Wow, huh? May our deaths be lined up with this. That when we leave this earth, hell celebrates because of what we've done for the kingdom of God while we've been here, no matter where He calls us to go, no matter our mental, physical state, that we're willing to uh, traverse the biggest obstacles, do what we have to do as we trust Christ in our journey with Him. So as we close, Lord, I'd just like to pray for anybody here or on the internet that doesn't know you, that hasn't even started this journey with you, that tonight would be the night that they get that passion, that one holy passion, that one magnificent obsession to love you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus, I uh, just think of that cross 
that you went to. That is a place that we go to to die. That's the end of our, our fleshly existence, the cross, where we're crucified with you, that we no longer live, but it's you who live in us. And then we go to that open tomb where you rose from the dead and you give us new life. So I pray tonight, Lord, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, they will just uh, follow the ABCs tonight. A, just admit you're a sinner. Just admit that you need forgiveness for the things that you've done wrong. And then B, believe that Jesus died on the cross for you, that he rose from the dead. And ask for that forgiveness and that uh, asking Jesus to just come into your heart. And then C is just... Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he's been raised from the dead. So if you want to do that, just say this simple prayer. Uh, Dear Jesus, I am a sinner. I know you died on that cross for me. Please forgive me my sins. I want to turn from my self-directed life and follow your directed life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you said that and you're here, come on up afterwards. We'll give you a Bible. But if you're home, just call the church and we'll send you some information to get started in your walk with Jesus. It's quite a journey. It's not always easy, but it's worth it. Amen. Every generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10:30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.